0: The near futurist a podcast with guy clapperton hello and thanks for downloading the near futurist a show presented by me guy clapperton today in this last episode of the year we're going to take a look at retail we've lost mother care thomas cook and plenty more and online retail has been held to blame by a lot of people but first as always some background on who you're listening to I'm Guy Clapperton, a technology journalist, event MC, and media trainer with 30 years experience. You might have heard me or seen me on the BBC occasionally, read some of my books or seen me in The Guardian, New Statesman Tech, and elsewhere. I go to a lot of conferences and hear experts talking about their forecasts about the decades to come. I'd rather use my 30 years experience as a commentator to discuss what's likely to happen later this year, early next, and the action we need to take now. So I came up with the near-futurist concept do have a look at my website at nearfuturist.co.uk, where you'll find more episodes and information on what we're about. If you'd like to book me as a speaker or MC for your technology event, do have a look at the showreel on the site and drop me a line, guy at nearfuturist.co.uk. That's nearfuturist as one word. Or get in touch with my agent, whose details are, of course, also on the site. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast, please do consider leaving a review on the iTunes store or wherever you download from. If you're new to the show, welcome. I should just record that, it's the same every time, but let's get to the meat of the show. My guest today was a bar owner in 2011 and was frustrated by the lack of quality EPOS solutions, that's electronic point of sale solutions, available to small business owners like him. He created his own and founded EPOS Now with a commitment to delivering the same innovations from which big business has been profiting for years to the small to medium enterprise community. The company has now grown to over 200 employees with 30,000 customers and over 30 million in revenue with no external investment and is now East Anglia's largest and fastest growing tech scale-up and it receives frequent recognition in the Tech Track 100 fastest growing companies. As an individual, he's won multiple awards such as IOD Director of the Year, Cloud Entrepreneur of the Year, Great British Retail Entrepreneur of the Year and has been honoured with a doctorate from the University of East Anglia. He does not write his own intros, by the way. His name is Jason Hutton. Jason, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Guy. Perhaps you could start off by telling me a bit more about yourself, your company, and what you actually do.
1: So basically, I'm the CEO and founder of Epos Now, which you covered there with the intro. Uh, Thank you for that. All we do really is we provide the technology that customers need um, to compete with giants. So you've obviously seen, and we're going to talk about, I think, um, on the show today, about the disruption and the closing. You've already highlighted the closing of some you know, marquee high street names. And our technology, really, and what we do, supplies that platform of success that customers of all businesses, of all shapes and sizes, need, really, to survive in the kind of new world. And that's what we do in a nutshell.
0: Okay. Now, um, we've obviously lost a lot of high street giants late, lately. I've named three in the intro. I could also have gone into Bath Store. Uh, there's there have been cutbacks at Debenhams and House of, House of Fraser. First question, really, is this any more than the normal reshaping the re- that the retail market goes through periodically? Yeah, I, I think
1: it is. There's definitely a big shift. I mean, there's a
0: massive shift. If you look at the news
1: at any point, you can see that, that the high street now is suffering more than ever. Even if you uh, look back at Black Friday, the percentage of transactions and revenue taken online, it's it's more of a landslide than it's ever been. And I think you just need to ask yourself, the the, the shops that you mentioned specifically, like you know, Debenhams and House of Fraser. I think it's not hard to realize, think to yourself, do those shops actually make sense you know, in the new world? If you think about Devenance and House of Frazier, their business model is that they have buyers and they, they curate products from multiple brands. So they create products and they kind of guess what you might want when you walk in. Now, the problem kind of lies with those shops is what happens if you're a different demographic? Let's say you're a person with children, or you're an elderly person, or you're a young person. I mean, how do those shops really match your customers? So, arguably, the technology now it's been deployed by Amazon, you know, and other companies like that, or Pretty Little Things and Gymshark. You know, they really understand the audience and they can segment the marketing depending on who you are. So, imagine this, right? The brands can now go directly to you, and they can tailor for a certain segmentation of the market, and they can really hit home on that audience member whenever they want so realistically you've probably seen yourself you're on your mobile using it for something you're thinking you might want a specific item and then all of a sudden is Amazon emails you with exactly what you're thinking about purchase based on your search volume so there are triggers and identification that really that, that that the online business can really understand what you're looking for so when you've got that much technology at your fingertips and you can do it infinitely cheaper and without all the infrastructure the retail store Do the models of these curations of shops actually make sense? Mm. Now, there are certain things that do make sense. These are more experiences. So the makeup cat probably makes sense because people have different skin types, colors, and it's probably good to have the experience of trying those things when you're kind of there. Probably the kitchen section makes sense. But what actually doesn't make sense? Does the clothing section make sense when you can send things back for free and you can try things on in your house? do you ever buy a washing machine on the off chance it kind of looks great or would you be Googling all the reviews first to find the five-star washing machine at exactly the right price point? So there are just things in these stores that don't make sense in the current world. And I think um, in order for those kind of shops to you know, survive to the next level, they have to invest in technology and understand that people in their physical presence can get a much better experience and tailored online. So it's kind of like the experiences and things that you can't get online more conveniently that make sense, and and they haven't just moved with the times, unfortunately.
0: I mean, is this just because of the internet and the mobile technology, or was uh, have customer ex- expectations were they changing anyway? No, I think it's driven
1: it's driven by apps and experience and AI technology to give you the stuff that you need in a much quicker, more convenient route. You, you'd now even probably buy furniture online pretty much. Before you'd never buy mattresses or furniture online. But the way they get around that really is by offering a very limited choice, tailoring it for exactly what you need, understanding you know, the buyer specifically, and then giving you a way that you can return the item at no problem or cost and, uh, and make it as frictionless as possible to buy. So I, I think it's just, it's just the evolution of, of, of being able to you know, buy things and being able to build a relationship up with the business that sells you the items it's not about the death of the high street it's about the evolution and it's about giving the customers the products and services where they are and, yeah. and that's why you really see like the high street change so before you had these monolithic you know big stores like your John Lewis and your Debenhams yeah which just sell random stuff that they randomly select for anyone like they'll obviously go because the internet can understand everything about you you know, what you buy, what you don't buy, how old you are, you know, what items you, you, you've previously bought. And then it just tailors the items and delivers you via smartphone to your handset. And then you just buy them next day delivery from Amazon or even same day. Now, that means that the big department stores are kind of like dead. But that means that in their stead becomes experiences. So mm-hmm. like, uh, you, know, you know, like trampoline stores, they come, you know, like you've got You've got these escape rooms that are popping up because that's something you can't get online. You've got, you've got cinemas are still doing fairly reasonable business, and I think that's another one to be displaced. But you've got, you've got all these experienced coffee shops all, all popping up for these experience led things. And you've got people back in the trend as well. Um, you know, A- Apple Store is doing great business because it's the experience and the customer service, and that blend between service and sales and training. So Apple Store's are a great example of someone bucking the trend because they're offering something more than just selling boxes. Because the internet can
0: shift boxes pretty well. I'm just wondering whether there's any hope for the larger retailer. I mean, you, you said that uh, they basically get random stuff. I think uh, that's what it looks like from the outside. I suspect it's a lot more sophisticated if you are actually a, a buyer. But you know, do you think there is a role for, um, for the larger shop, the department store, or indeed the independent department well, store anymore? Well, quick quick question back
1: to you. How sophisticated can it be? I mean, how do you understand who's walking through that door at that moment so you can tailor the goods to give the best chance of success?
0: I have to say I'm so, not a retailer, uh, but uh, I, I just don't, don't underestimate worry. the sophistication. I don't underestimate the sophistication of uh, an operation the size of John Lewis or Waitrose. Uh, they, they, they do know precisely who their customers are. They are, they are the same uh, customer, of course. That's the same company. Sainsbury's has another view on who's going to walk through the door. I, I just don't underestimate the sophistication going on there. Is all I'm saying. Problem you have right, and this is where we do underestimate the sophistication because the problem you have right
1: is is when you go on to online marketing and you look at the kind of, the kind of technology they've got and advance to them, right? When you segment the audiences online, right, you can segment down to the individual user, how they've engaged with your content, what their previous buy history. And when that personalization segmentation happens, they segmentate the experience to the, even the fold of the website. So everyone gets a totally different experience. Now, I understand what you're saying. Sainsbury's do try and match roughly who their customers are, but they can't control the individual experience as you walk in the store and the products next to you like an online store can. True. The personalization options are massive, right? And because, because of that, they can deliver the exact products you've got the highest percentage of chance of buying for in your inbox or online. They can even now use the Google Display Network so they can identify you as a previous customer. And when you're watching YouTube, they can even do individual ad rolls to the products and services you might buy and like-for-like videos. The personalization options, are crazy now. John Lewis and and, and Sainsbury's—they might be great at guessing that broad stroke. These are the types of people who buy from us, but because they're shopping, they could they, they, the audience is so broad. It's kind of really hard to personalise down to a segmented level. It's just hard because of the sheer amount of velocity of different customers, and that's where the internet really wins out.
0: Okay. I mean, when the internet first emerged, it was portrayed as this great leveller. Uh, you know, the smaller business, were going to have the same opportunity as the larger business, we were all told. Are we just saying perhaps that this was actually oversold and there's no substitute for deep pockets and marketing now, even if the marketing is now going into, as you say, the online world?
1: Well, I think there is. And this this is where it gets interesting. And this is the whole reason for EPOS now becoming becoming into existence. This is why we built it. Because there is there is definitely an information gap, right? Between, let's say, for example, you're a shoe shop on the high street and you've been selling shoes for years and your business model is that you sell a pair of shoes and that you make, you make X amount of pounds on that spend and the customer disappears, okay? That's definitely coming to an end and the internet has definitely delivered a death blow to that type of business. And the problem is bricks and mortar shops, you know, unless you're the big boys, they aren't, just aren't sophisticated to keep up now, that's where a pro- platform like EPOS now comes into play. So we understand this technology. Our mission is to give customers the technology they need to compete with giants, whether they're internet giants or high street giants. And that means getting our customers to think differently. So understanding real-time profit and loss, margin control, you know, dynamic staff rate is, and, and and really, really under how to connect them with loyalty platforms so that, that really is where it kicks in really to understand who buys from you, why they buy and really manage those customers. Because big online companies, they really understand what their, what their unit economics are and how much it costs to acquire a customer and what is the lifetime value. And this is the thing, right? So if you're a shop in the old world, how do you compete with an Amazon where they might lose five, ten thousand pounds to acquire a customer for that shoe purchase? And they might try and commercialize that customer in ten different ways whether that's video, whether that's selling the data, you know, whether that's selling them online food, other items, anything they want, but they may never be able to have to post a profit. So that's your competition now, right? So you can mm-hmm. still win because you can have local domain knowledge and, and really good intrinsic knowledge to your customer and convenience, but you can't completely switch off from it like you alluded to earlier. Uh, and, and where that kind of starts now as it starts with the platform, like, let's say we started up a big business like Epos now is, or let's say we started a, a big, uh, I don't know, normal business that wasn't on the high street. The first thing we'd have to understand is what platform would we use? You know, would we use Salesforce? Would we use Zoho CRM? You know, we wouldn't start a traditional, we wouldn't start like a normal business without having a real good data platform, would we, to underpin everything on in order to you know, run our business? So the engine of our business is like Salesforce, for example, Right. Now yep. everyone starts a retail business, or most people do, without picking a technology platform. So how do all their payments, all their analytics, all their customer data, how is all that stored, and how do they begin building a loyalty system? You know, they just don't. And that's where Epos Now comes in. That's what a POS is. It's the customer success platform you need to put in your business, and then all the integrations hang off that. So like Sage or QuickBooks for real-time profit and loss, you know, you have a Shopify drag and drop or big commerce drag and drop for online. You have 24 different loyalty systems, you know, you get all your data, all your margin, all your stock management. You know, deploying that kind of technology or the kind of technology we provide or someone else really allows you to think like a technology business and levels the playing field. You know, and that that's the change of thinking that the high street need to compete. You know, it's not just about being an internet business. It's about using the technology to automate all your processes and compete and win. And we see Mm. customers that are doing that on the high street. You know, it's just the thing is the high street will never die because it's convenient. There's a lot of people walking around. So it's just about how much it costs you to acquire a customer and is it cheaper on the internet? So what could happen is all of these shops could go out of business. And then as they go out of business, the rents drop to a certain level and someone has a meeting, like let's say it's a Gymshark or a, pretty little things or a boohoo or something like that. They go, actually, we're paying 15, 20 quid a click now, guys. If we set up a mobile login on the store and just eliminate payments so we get everyone's details so we can add them to the funnel. If we build this shop in every major city, that'll be cheaper to acquire a customer that will online. They'll be like, oh, that sounds brilliant. Let's do it. You know, they'll definitely do that at that point. There just needs to be a leveler where everyone moves to online, it becomes a cheap cost or acquisition funnel. And it'll be quite handy because it will save on delivery and return costs. So The high street will still be around because it depends on what level it needs to drop down to in order for it to be cheaper than online. It's just a market, isn't it?
0: Yeah, um, I I suppose also there's uh, a great untold story of uh, uh, a mini revolution in the logistics industry, of course, because, you know, suddenly everybody's had to be geared up for mini deliveries, micro deliveries rather than huge deliveries to retail premises, which is, uh, you know, maybe something I can look at in a future show. My last guest uh, was actually an analyst from New York, and she was saying that what we actually were getting to was a stage where people wanted more of the human experience in customer service, or customer experience rather, more of the human experience and less of the technology. That seems to be at, at odds with what you've said. you said. Do you think there's still room for the human face of uh, customer experience?
1: Yeah, I think there is. I think she's, she's spot on, but it has to be underpinned with technology. The, the, pro, the problem you have is obviously as New York analyst probably knows a hell of a lot more than me. But the problem is, let's say you've left your store, right? And one of your high profile customers comes in or, or a customer who buys frequently on, from you comes in the stores and make a purchase. How does that person know that they're a customer to be looked after? That's where technology bridges the gap to provide brilliant service. Because that customer coming in, you, know, you should be able to identify those customers as, as really significant to your business. Now, if you have to remember everything, good customer service is not about having a great memory, it should be about the technology helping you deliver that great service. So a customer comes in who's a real frequent customer, if you're not around and member of your team is, who's probably new, having the technology when they, when they you know, give a card or identify their details and really understanding they're a high purchase, you know, should bring a conversation to have a great level of service. Or if there's a brand that your customer likes, let's say, for example, you're a fashion store and you've got certain brand rights, and they do, for the local area. You know, if that brand really comes back in and they're releasing a new collection, you know, how is your customer going to know that? How are you going to communicate that? So you really need to be able to communicate and store the customer details, say, hey, you know, the brand you really like, you know, we've got that coming in, come and have a look. You know, when they come in, identifying that that's been triggered by that event, You know, and really being able to engage with them. The technology is not in replacement. The technology is supplementary to great customer service. But the thing is, and the thing that we now is having that face-to-face contact and being able to really wrap your arms around the customer, provide a great experience. You know, that never has to change. You know, it's it's more about being able having the technology allow you to identify those simply and being able to roll best practice around the team. It's just that technology is an enabler, not as a replacement
0: place near my mother has started offering cookery lessons as well as selling ingredients. I think it's Malaysian food. And just up the road from me in Crystal Palace, there's a pottery that sells not only pots, but uh, also pottery lessons for adults uh, rather than just, you know, kids' parties, which I've seen other places doing. I'm just wondering whether this is a more realistic way forward than uh, just selling stuff, which, you know, frankly, as you say, Amazon can do really easily and probably cheaper. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And what, what this is commonly known at, is similar to
1: like a content strategy. It's how online businesses have been bringing customers in for years. And realistically, if someone's buying ingredients from you, it's just about really connecting with your customers, isn't it? And connecting with your customers just makes good business sense. If someone's buying ingredients, you've got to understand why are they buying them. If they're buying the ingredients because they conceptually want to be better at cooking, offering cooking lessons, and if you've got that skill to help them reach their end goal, it's just brilliant business, and it helps you build a great relationship with your customers. If people are coming in for a pottery class, and um, they're just doing it by themselves, and you've got the skills of being a great pottery person, I guess, and uh, not knowing the industry very well, and they really want, and there's a desire for that customer, you know, to get better at that skill, getting the customer close to their end goal, it should be what business is about. Now, my protein done something very similar, and a lot of sole traders can learn from it whereas they were just selling protein online and they were doing reasonably well business, but they ballooned massively. And how they did that was they really understood the reasons why customers bought for them and they figured out that customers were buying for a goal and that goal was either to lose weight, spend more time with their kids, various fitness goals. So they created a content ecosystem to help customers reach their goals and that's really when their business took off. And and absolutely, if if our retailers can move beyond selling a product and helping customers realize their goals yeah then mm-hmm. they'll be around for a very long time and that's just that's just great business
0: okay are we talking about a technology change or a business culture change i'm i'm sort of hearing both the problem is the technology is an enabler to make you more sophisticated isn't it right
1: without recording your customers details and understanding who buys from you and what their drivers are and being able to organize that in like a like a platform or a crm you know it's almost impossible to manage all this you know, personally, and that's really where you start losing out. Like, you can do stuff like that, but that's when the online businesses really take off. Because we talk about the in- internet being the enabler, but it's broadly the technology. And this is why kind of EPOS now was built because the technology allows you to easily deliver this with very, with very little effort. Otherwise, if you tried to do it without the technology, the, the team size would be too big, and the date would be too much, and it would be very, very difficult to, to mm. contact all the customers. So it's more about The bigger companies and the disruptors, they have all the technology and the automation of systems to deliver all this really easily. And it's very well understood. The smaller retailers don't have access to that technology, which is powered by the internet. So they need need firstly to select a really good platform. And then all of this is just good business practice and loyalty, really.
0: Final question, really. Uh, Where can listeners find out more about you and what you do? Well, they can go to our website,
1: www.eposnow.com. And um, they can engage with us there if they want to find out more. And, you know, we'd be happy to, um, you know, see if we can um, add any value or help. Jason
0: Heavens of EPOS Now, thank you very much for joining me. Brilliant. Thank you, Guy. And many thanks to you for listening. That was the Near Futurist podcast with me, Guy Clapperton. It may seem early to be finishing for 2019, but it really isn't. On a fortnightly basis, we wouldn't come out again until the 20th of December. So I'm going to have a rest until Friday the 10th of January, and I hope you get a decent break yourself. Thank you for listening in 2019, the year in which this show went from a couple of hundred diehard listeners in January to just over three and a half thousand in November. Thank you for joining us. The year in which some of you came and saw me keynoting at Descartes' annual conference, Wandsworth and Richmond Councils, and elsewhere, talking about the near future. I'll look forward to doing a lot more of that in 2020. Have a great break. Don't forget to have a look at the website of nearfuturist.co.uk. Festive greetings, of course. I'm Guy Clapperton. I'll be back in the near future.